And I believe that uh, all players need to come together. That is the farmers, the buyers, the consumers, the authorities, you know, the well-wishers. And everybody needs to come on board and we fight this giant that is called climate change. All businesses, all governments need to take responsibility. They need to be recognising that we all have a part to play. We all need to be looking at our supply chains and trying to ensure that we are supporting those supply chains to adapt, to mitigate, to build resilience because climate change is happening now. And without doing these things, we will not have security of supply for the future. Farmers first. That's where we need to focus on, on farmers, on farmer cooperatives, on communities. Welcome to this special Fair Trade Fortnight 2023 edition of the Building Better Business Podcast. Uh, today, we are going to focus on farmers and workers on farm who are really at the forefront of the climate crisis, but also are uniquely positioned to get us through this crisis and uh, we want to come on to how important that is. We've got some amazing guests to help navigate the subject and I'll introduce those in a second. But first of all, just a little bit about um, the food system risk and the, the critical role that, that farmers play. You know, many smallholder farmers are struggling to earn a living income or a wage and they often lack the resources to turn, you know, the incredible knowledge and informed thinking they have about climate change and how to mitigate it into action. And this leaves farmers' livelihoods and communities at severe risk. And of course, also, it leaves the world's food supply in great peril as well. And I personally and, and strongly believe that smallholder farmers are the key to combating climate change. And it really is critical that we work hand in hand and support smallholder farmers to enable the world's food supply system to, to work and flourish, but also you know, quite crucially to ensure that livelihoods and communities are, are built and developed to be more resilient. So in this episode, we're going to look at how working together in close partnership with smallholder farmers is key to resolving these issues. And I'd like to introduce our wonderful guest today. First of all, we have got from Matura Cooperative in Kenya, Martin Kinya. So Martin, pleased to see you. Thank you, John. Thank you, John. Alongside Martin, we've got Hans Perk, Director of Specialized Finance and Community Building from OikoCredit. And OikoCredit is a really close partner of Cafe Direct and our biggest shareholder. It's wonderful to see you, Hans. Thanks for joining us. Great to be here, John. Thanks for the invitation. And thirdly, from the cooperative supermarket, from the co-op, um, we have Emily Pierce, the Senior Sustainable Sourcing and International Development Manager. Emily, great to see you again. Lovely to be here, John. Thank you. Well, thank you all. I think a really, a really good combination of people to discuss the subject. I think what we'll try and cover today, we'll cover three things, really, which is yeah, how bad is the global food security situation? Also, rewind slightly and work out how do we get ourselves in this position because we might learn from that conversation. And thirdly, and most importantly, you know, what can we all do about it? First of all, how bad is the global food security situation? I think I'll, I'll go to Martin first, but 
when I was thinking about this podcast, I, it reminded me of a close friend of mine, Andrew, who um, runs Michimakuru Cooperative in Kenya, a tea cooperative. And I remember eight years ago, Andrew talked about finding frost on his tea bushes. And it was the first first time he'd seen frost, and it was like quite a revelation. It was like, to me, it was you know seeing something that we're used to in in some of the countries such as the UK, but you know you're finding um, you're witnessing things that you've never seen before. So Martin, to try to bring to life how severe the situation is, what are you witnessing in Kenya that you've not seen before as a consequence of climate change? Thank you, thank you, John, for for this opportunity. And uh, I'm also a smallholder farmer in Kenya. And uh, I can tell you climate change has really, really affected us. And uh, there are many things that are happening. And uh, one of the things with when we have the climate change, in Kenya we are used to particular climatic patterns. And being an agricultural country, we rely on, on rainfall and climate to do agriculture. And every time now we have seen that uh, the climate patterns have been broken. Well, the way we used to do things, we are not doing them the way now we are doing them. One is that uh, in Kenya, most of the regions in Kenya, we have um, the short rings and the long rings. These days you cannot say where the long rings are coming and when the short rings are coming. Totally unpredictable uh, climatic patterns. Number two, we, have, uh, we don't have enough rainfall. And this is contributing to low-quality coffee because coffee is majorly dependent on water and availability of water for it to have good quality and good quantity. And number three, we have witnessed cases of where coffee is drying up. And I can tell you that in one of our farms, we are forced to irrigate every day because it is very hot. It is very hot. And therefore, the coffee cannot withstand the hot temperatures. Also on that, uh, because of climate change, our farmers are trying, and also myself, I'm trying to mitigate the climate uh, issues, and that contributes to high cost of production. I have to keep irrigating, I have to keep uh, you know, spraying polyaphenes, and that at the end of it, or at the end of the crop year, you find that uh, the, well, the, the cost of production per unit or per kilo is a bit high to what we used to do. Uh, at the same time, we are experiencing very low water levels in, um, in the wells and in the rivers. And we all know in the setup of uh, Arabica coffee, our coffee is majorly dependent on water for processing. And we have had cases where uh, one of the factories actually lost about 10 million Kenyan shillings because uh, there was not enough water for processing the coffee. I tell you, if you miss water for five hours, then it means you have lost uh, coffee that is so much expensive. And also among that, we are experiencing low productivity. We all know that you're supposed to produce about 10 kilos per stem. And these days we are seeing cases where you can produce two, you can produce three or five. So you are not able to maximize uh, your production per stem. Yeah, one of the things in coffee, um, you know, for Cafe Direct, we'd... Um been fighting for higher prices in coffee for years and you know the, the prices have been too low and the volatility too high and um even when the prices have moved up in the last year and a half i think it's really important for people to remember and to act on the fact that 
those prices don't flow back to the farmer as directly as they should. And also the farmer, as you said, Martin, is facing not only climate change in terms of the unpredictability, but the cost that that is putting upon you is far outweighing any of the increases in prices that are working through the marketplace. And that's really key to hear what you're experiencing. Um, hence, Oiko Credit works across many, many aspects of food, across many different uh, smallholder farming communities across the world. Keeping on this subject about how bad things are, what, what are you experiencing at Oiko Credit? Yeah, so in, in my years at Oiko Credit, I'm there for now for six years. Huh? So, but I think my so my history working in in countries where we do produce coffee and tea and and all those commodities goes back like 25 years. And and honestly, 25 years ago, when visiting Latin America and Africa, farmers were already complaining about the fact um, that the weather became more uh, unpredictable. So they were already seeing those signs where we were still debating it in, in large conferences, climate change. Farmers were already experiencing it and already paying the price. And I think, um, yeah, there's more, what do you say, more awareness of it these days. Um, honestly, the action still lacking a lot. And so farmers do experience this day by day. Climate change is reality for them. Um, think what Martin just mentioned, so uh, unpredictable volumes. Uh, we see that, of course, as Oracle Credit, we're financing those cooperatives. Um, quality issues as well, uh, diseases. Um, so being in the coffee, the coffee trade, as a farmer is, is difficult. As a financier, it's also becoming more difficult. The risks are just increasing. Um, and and yeah, you already spoke about price yeah, and increasing prices. Uh, that's fantastic, but I think in reality we're still not paying uh, living income or living wage across the board. Yeah, there are some companies who are doing pretty well uh, and consumers are interested in the story behind the coffee and the product they buy and willing to pay that price. Um, but across the board we're still not paying the price which farmers actually need to have a living income and take care of their family and at the same time actually being one of our most important partners to yeah, to combat climate change. Thank you Hans. I think it's, it's quite clear that uh, the impact is on incredibly vulnerable communities that are key to so much of, of the world's food and as you said you know the, the prices have been like that and the climate change impacts have been there for a long long time and it's it's not going to be solved by a bunch of people in a boardroom in, in Europe somewhere. It needs to be by engaging smallholder farmers and really understanding the depth of the problems that are being faced. Emily, the co-op has been a pioneering retailer in the UK and has done a huge amount for supporting fair trade and farmers. And I know your, your future of food work is, is out there and has got a huge amount of depth to it. How, how do you see this um, situation and how bad do you see it, Emily? Thanks, John. Yeah, um, I'm lucky to work for a, an organization, you know, a, a cooperative myself that has been really leaning into the issue for some time. We started our responsible retailing journey almost 30 years ago, and uh, it's our fair trade support um, has been pioneering since the beginning of the movement and working with you, John, and Capito Rect from even before that, back in 1992. 
I think I, it's really fantastic to work for a business which is trying to do things differently. And we've long recognized the real impact that climate change is having on the food system, impacting our planet and the people that operate within it and produce our food. And it continues to have a huge um, impact and devastating impact on communities within fair trade producer communities in across the globe, but also here in the UK. You know, the heat waves that were happening last summer and the uh, flooding that we can see across the world in Pakistan, but also in Auckland, um, is showing that the crisis is now, we need to take action now, and we need to go faster and deeper as soon as possible. Um, unpredictable weather patterns are continuing to really, to, uh, to really hamper food supply. Um, and worker and grower livelihoods. And that's one of the things that's of paramount um, concern to us. We're speaking about coffee particularly today. And I think the stat that's been promoted quite widely is the fact that many experts predict that up to half of the land used to grow coffee will be unusable by 2050 if urgent action isn't taken. So what we've said today around smallholders being the key to combating climate change is, is, is so true. But so often they lack the resources because of the challenges of unjust trade, of poverty, um, of lack of resources in order to do so. Yet so often when they are giving or empowered to have those tools to do so by fairer terms of trade, by um, certification like fair trade, by support, um, that they are the key to changing their own features and securing our supply chains um, better. So that's really, really important. Um, for, for us, um, you know, I think it's worth bearing in mind that we've had a very volatile few years as a global food system. We've had first the pandemic, which really laid bare some of the fragility that exists in global food supply chains, but the climate crisis is having much bigger ramifications. Um, and we know, um, that investment and support for producers at the front line of climate crisis is absolutely paramount to safeguard food security and protect the most vulnerable commodities for, for all of our futures. And that's why Co-op has taken pioneering approach with our fair, fair trade commitments. We work across seven core commodities, including coffee, to um, have a 100% fair trade approach because we believe that's the best way that we can support farmers um, with fairer terms of trade, fairer prices, and empowerment through the fair trade system in order to take action themselves. And I think that's what's really, really important here is around in empowering um, farmers themselves to take the action that's right for them. And we've talked about partnership at the start of the podcast. And you know, if we look back to the SDGs, goal 17, partnership for the goals, is something that as a cooperative, we really kind of see as the only way forward, really. We need to be working in partnership with farming systems, with the whole supply chain, with our customers and members in order to deal with some of the huge challenges that the food system is is facing. I think the only thing I'd, I'd end on is uh, Martin has spoke really articulately about some of the challenges, particularly in water. Um, that's something that we, as part of our uh, climate plan and our climate justice campaign that we've had um, ongoing since 2021 and we've been advocating at the COP conferences um, to elevate the voices from those in our supply chain and from our key partners. Um, but there's a, there's a well-known quote out there, I can't remember who exactly said it, but if climate change was a shark, 
then water would be its teeth. And what we're seeing is the increase of um, challenges, both from too much water or too little water. And I was lucky enough to go out and meet Martin myself um, in Kenya back in October and speak to um, uh, himself and uh, Mutira and some of the smallholder farmers working there. And likewise, have gone out to meet fair trade producer communities across Malawi and around the world. And the first thing that any farmers talk to me about is their fears from climate change, their fears of having a lack of access for water, both for their own needs, access to clean water for their families, for themselves, um, access to sanitation and hygiene, which of course due to the pandemic is so important for health, but also for their own crops, for their own subsistence crops or for their own livelihoods. And what we're seeing at the moment is that the necessity for water security to be taken seriously is, is just so paramount. No, thank you, Emily, and, and thank you, Hans, and thank you, Martin. I think if people don't get a feeling for how bad the situation is from that, I don't know how you help people to you know come to attention on this. Um, it clearly very, very urgent and very, very a very bad situation that you probably don't feel if you're in a suburb of London or something. I just wanted to come back to Martin finally on this first section, really, which is Martin. You you spoke brilliantly about some of the things you've witnessed, and then you, you've heard from Hans and Emily about. You know, the severity of the situation, how it's been, it's been building and it's been, it's been bad for many years. You know, Hans talked about the last 25 years. I'd love to hear from you about, you know, th th this is clearly incredibly urgent and what happens on farm in Kenya and in other smallholder farmers around the world, if we do not change the approach the system has to this, and if we do not change to work more directly as, as, as a, as a food supply system globally. What are the consequences of not acting now? I just wanted to bring you back in on that. Thank you, John, once again. Thank you, Emily, for according to what I've said. And uh, I would say and I would agree that uh, if you find yourself anywhere, there must be a way that you found yourself there. And uh, on the issue of climate change, it's a process that has been there from generation to generation, from time to time, from year to year, and that's why we are where we are today. And I think one of the remarkable things that I've witnessed and seen in Kenya is the issue of deforestation, cutting down of trees. It has been pathetic. People have been ignorant that uh, trees are very important as far as uh, climate change and environmental conservation is important. And therefore, cutting down of trees have, have really affected and has really contributed to the issue of climate change. And you find that uh, sometimes because uh, firewood is source of power, is what we use to cook, is what we use to construct our houses, that is, has led to climate change. Uh, number two, we have the issue of uh, limited resources and capacity. And uh, in Kenya, we have a trend of increasing population where we find now the, 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 the pieces of land that are there are not enough for everyone. And we find that there is encroachment of uh, natural resources, which include forests, which include water bodies and all that. And we will fight if now we encroach a, a forest, for example, Mount Kenya forest or Mount Kenya, yes, Mount Kenya forest. You find that the impact might not be seen in a single day, but uh, it's going to accumulate uh, in one year, the second year, third year, fourth year, 25th year. And finally, we are going to experience 
the the climate the climatic challenges that uh, we are experiencing here. Uh, number three, I, I also believe that uh, the issue of climate change is not a one-man show, and uh, we we need to 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 have uh, an affirmative action where we have a global action. And I believe for a long time in Blueberry and also at, at a personal level, we have ignored them the issues and the matter of climate change. We don't have a strategy that has been put in place to ensure that uh, what we have experienced this year shall be experienced next year and in the next generation that is to come. So there is no global climate action plan and mitigation plan. And, uh, and that has really affected uh, and contributed to climate change. Also, we have also the issue of uh, instability of our country's price, uh, instability and volatility of commodities. And you fight if, for example, the price of uh, one kilo of coffee and cost down, farmers are going to look for alternative sources of income. That is where they are going to look to cut down trees. That is when they are going to encroach the forest, maybe to do some farming. That is where they are going to do. They are not going to be sensitive. And we can agree here, and I can really submit to you, that the issue of climate mitigation is also very costly. If you tell a farmer that don't cut down that tree, I'm going to give an alternative. I'm, are you sensitive that I don't have enough income also to sustain my basic requirement and basic commodities? Number three, the issue of uh, ignorance. Most of the people have been ignorant about climate change. And we have, I think we have been insensitive that uh, climate change is real, climate change is there, Climate change will be there. Climate change was there. And even generations to come, 100 years to come, if we are not careful, it's going to affect the generations to come. Yes, that is my submission. Thank you again, Martin. I think um, what you've made me feel from that is that it's not only um, that the, the situation is bad, that, but if you don't change it, the social injustice will drive further climate destruction. I just want to rewind slightly, and, and, and I don't like looking back too much on things, but I do think it's it's really important in this conversation to talk a little bit about how we've got ourselves in this situation as a, as a food system. If I can go to you, Hans, I mean, Hans, you've been working in this space for 25 years. What are the two or three key drivers as you see it of this situation becoming uh, as bad as it has now? And looking back, eh? so let's not look back too, too much, but even... Um a little bit would be good. Uh, and if we look at prices, uh, we've talked about it before. If you look at real prices, actually, uh, they've really declined eh, over the years. And so that's important to mention that even if we talk about high prices compared to 20 years ago, they're not high. And I truly believe, by the way, that farmers are more, let's say, interested in stable, predictable prices. And so uh, where they can actually plan their future on and not uh, often, sometimes a high price, sometimes a low price. But I think one, one of the things which we might reconsider is that at a certain point of time, we've kind of privatized the whole ag industry uh, by a drive from uh, World Bank and others. The coffee boards have been uh, largely abandoned in the world. In a lot of the countries actually in the West, uh, where governments play a very important role in the ag sector, is being, um, has been lacking. So there's year on year, there's been, looking back, uh, not enough investments 
in the agriculture sector. And not by multilateral organizations, uh, neither by governments. Well, I think, you know, even in, in Europe, you know, agriculture has been about subsidies rather than actually addressing fundamental structural issues, hasn't it? Yeah. I mean, the other thing, Hans, that you mentioned, I mean, real prices and um, stability, I... Uh, I sometimes say to people, you know, because if you if you're working in a in a in a in a, a job, I don't know, in a, in finance in the UK or something, you know, we don't take away 35, 40% of your salary one month and then give you a bit more the next. You you have no volatility of income at all. You have total certainty. And with that you can plan and invest in your future. It is unbelievable that smallholder farmers are treated in the system in such a unpredictable and destabilizing way isn't it no and i think actually we have uh, over the years we have largely kind of neglected investing in agriculture and so there are there are hundreds of millions which are necessary uh, and they are not there and i think that's that's uh, important to recognize fair trade uh, was founded i think actually it started in the netherlands uh, that was in the 80s you know in the 80s we already recognized that we need an integral integrated cost of production as a price for farmers. That's a very old theory. And I think, honestly, we're still not uh, realizing that. Yeah, I was thinking earlier on, that there are some quite famous speeches in the 1970s about climate change. And it's we've known about this situation for a long, long time. It really is about how we take considered yeah. and collaborative action across the globe, isn't it? I think you call it the Club of Rome. 1967. I just looked it up last week, and the the first report was the yeah, the end to to growth, and they said there is no possibility that we are going to kind of uh, live on this earth altogether in the way we are actually doing it at this moment. That's for the coming years is impossible. Uh, that's that's some time ago already. So if we let this happen, it's not really a question if I can still drink my cup of coffee. It's really a question of, is there a life for farmers? I'm going to just turn to Emily for one more contribution on this glancing back, how did we get in this situation kind of bit. Uh, any other thoughts from yourself, Emily? Yeah, I think, I think what Martin and Hans have, have brought up is, is really pertinent. I think there's often a lot of blame in these conversations, but actually we have had science for some time and those scientists should have been listened to. But there have also been benefits through global trade. There's been efficiencies in production methods and training that have had benefits to, to many people around the world. I think where we are now is facing a triple threat challenge. So devastating climate change, biodiversity collapse, and the needs of a growing global population, many of whom are without basic basic needs. I mean, if we talk about 25% of the world's population don't have access to safely managed drinking water. What we don't have is an equal society. And I think where I really think we've lost that balance in creating a world that is fair and equal and just and thinking about how we distribute wealth and value and also how we have a balance with nature. So many of the challenges we face now is because the science hasn't been followed and the what we need to do is re-engineer supply chains, re-engineer what we do and in some places 
go back to simpler ways of doing things, which are nature friendly, agroecological, and thinking about how and what and why we do things in a more sensitive, scientific and balanced way. And I think that's actually quite exciting as and will bring through fresh innovation and ideas um, and partnership. Um, because I think those on the side of the fence that believe this isn't urgent and requiring action, their voices are getting getting quieter. And actually, it's quite an exciting time for people to really think about a vision for a food transformation, a food system of the future, which is why we our own plan is called Future of Food. But for me, it's more getting that balance back in thinking about how we can tackle these big challenges, but at the same time, thinking of it from both a people and planet lens. You're not only glancing back, you're, but you're providing an introduction really to you know, the key part of this discussion, which is really, what do we need to do about this? What can we do now? What do we need to do now? And I think that should start really with Martin's contribution. Martin, you know, what do we need to do now? Thank you. Thank you, John, once again. Um, I believe that uh, it's doable, one, that is very doable. And uh, as we do it, we really need to look at the at the value chain, starting from the farmer to the consumer, from farm to cup. And uh, because climate change is affecting the whole value chain, we really need to look at the, at the issue of the, of the farmer, issue at the, at the processing level, uh, issue at the consumer level, and back now to the to back uh, at the end of the at the cup level, because I I tend to believe at the farm level when there is climate change I'm not able to produce good quality coffee. Uh, at processing level I may do uh, uh, wrong uh, waste management and waste disposal, and I believe that uh, all players need to come together. That is the farmers the buyers, the consumers, the authorities, you know, the well-wishers, and everybody needs to come on board and we fight this giant that is called climate change. Because I don't believe farmers can do it on their own. The consumers cannot do it on their own. The authorities cannot do it on their own. Even the buyers cannot do it on their own. So it is a corrective action that we need to bring together. And also on top of that, I believe we also need to have mitigation measures and strategies through projects. And I want to echo here that uh, through fair trade, we have projects that are, are really helping us in mitigating the climate uh, issues and climate uh, challenges. And uh, as of now, we have a project that we are calling FASCA project, and it is training our farmers on good agricultural uh, practices on what we call regenerative agriculture on sustainable farming. And also on top of that, through fair trade, uh, through what we call the, the premiums, we, we are moving to sustainable production practices. For example, at Motira, uh, we are moving 100% from wooden drying beds to metal drying beds. Because wooden drying, drying beds means that you have to cut down trees every year, every time for you to repair. But with the wooden dry bands, with the metal dry bands, you just need to repaint them and they are very okay. And, uh, and uh, we are seeing it working. And I can see here, we are at around 95% uh, 
moving from the old uh, dry beds, that is the wooden ones, to the metal dry beds. And this is through fair trade. That is one of the or of our one of our key stakeholders. And therefore, I believe if we can have such projects that are promoting farmers, that are training farmers on diversification, we have had projects where we have trained our farmers. Instead of, of a reliance on coffee farming, you can do poultry farming. You can do beekeeping. And actually, beekeeping is very strategic because of the issue of pollination, we are on, on, on issues of, of fertility and, uh, and uh, conserving the environment. We are training our farmers on pig farming, vegetable uh, kitchen garden, and vegetable farming. These are projects that may seem small, but the impact is really big. Because the moment I have, I rely on just a coffee income, it means I have to, I have to, when the prices are not stable, it means I have to do other things to make sure that I sustain my life. Therefore, we need to train our farmers. We need to train the, the people on the, on the lower value chain that it is good to diversify the sources of income. Uh, also on that, uh, I think most of the farmers, as I said in question number two, we have the issue of ignorance, ignorance. And most of our farmers, most of the, of the key players in the, in the value chain are ignorant on the issues of climate change. And I think one cure to ignorance is training. We need to train the key players. We need to train the farmers. We need to train the staffs. We need to train, you know, the consumers. We need to train and to sensitize the authorities. We need to have advocacy on issues of climate change. And we tell this issue is about you, it is about me, it is about the other person, it is about that person who is in America, that person who is in UK, that person that is in Kenya is also responsible about climate change. A few observations. I, I was at a kind of talk last week about the future of food and um, we talked a lot about smallholder farmers and I, I said to the audience, which was lots of big food companies from around the world, that, you know, it was really disappointing and very disconcerting to be talking about smallholder farmers without a single one in the room. It really strikes me that you've got so many things that you can do and the system is letting you down by not providing you with the resources, be it in you know training or scaling up diversification of income. And so I think, you know, I listen to you and you, you, you have all the, the solutions. It is the food supply system that is not providing you with some of the resources. Hans, how do you, how do you see what we need to do next? Yeah. So I think actually, John, you already brilliantly said it. So Martin should be our focus. So farmers first, that's where we need to focus on farmers, on farmer cooperatives, on communities. I think the only thing I would like to add to what Martin said is, uh, it's not just the coffee supply chain. Uh, we should have a holistic approach to this. So it's, it's, it's all the other things which farmers can also produce. Uh, they have an important role to play for food security. A cooperative is, a, uh, yeah, is, a, is, a, is an important player in a community to provide other types of services as well. I think as an impact investor, as Oracle Credit, our investors are interested in making a difference first. Uh, that's what we want to do. And, um, and we need to do that indeed in partnership with the cooperatives as being one of our most important players there. I think there's in investment needed in innovation. So there's a lot of innovation which is possible. We call it ag these days. Uh, farmers are getting smartphones. It's, uh, 
it's a great way of providing them with information on weather, uh, on when to harvest, when to fertilize, um, also in providing them with credit. So there are lots of opportunities there where as Orca Credit we could invest in. We are really interested in indeed investing in that in that ecosystem in the community, providing uh, farmer cooperatives and farmer communities with with um, yeah, renewable energy solutions, with water, all those types of investments which are needed. But there's an I think really there's a there's a holistic uh, approach needed, which is indeed in the coffee supply chain, but goes beyond that. And there's where we would really would like to make our impact as well. It is abundantly clear, isn't it, that it needs to be a holistic approach where it brings some of the actors who are, you know, not not necessarily at the forefront of ethical agricultural investment and not at the forefront of, of the movement of fair trade, but are in the system and dominate the system that need to come to uh, collaborate and make this different. Emily, what should we do next then? I really feel that part of the solution is having to listen to farmers and visit farmers. So I've been lucky enough in my role to visit our supply chains and farming communities all over the world and I'm always struck by the insight, the humanity, the, you know, the just the decency that people want to live and they want to have a respected and dignified livelihood. They want to provide for their families. They want to provide for their futures. They want to provide for their communities and they want to have clean, safe environments. They are just like us sat here in the UK. And I do think that often there is a disconnect, particularly when you're not operating in the food system, but still with people in the food system between actually where does our food and drink come from? What does that supply chain look like? What are the contexts and challenges and opportunities that sit in those supply chains? And so to really any businesses out there or governments that are listening to this, and I hope they're all listening cleanly, absolutely getting to understand how your food system or part of the food system operates, what are the challenges that exist in your coffee supply chain or your sugar supply chain or whatever supply chain you're looking at. And really, what do you have transparency of? What do you have traceability of? And what don't you have? What are the risks that exist there? And I think one of the things that Martin said to me, actually, when I was out in Kenya, and sorry, Martin, I'll quote you, is knowledge is power. And it is power. It makes power to make informed decisions. And I think one of the things Martin said there, which was so important, is the importance of tackling any ignorance providing training and education so that those small-scale farmers can be part of the solution. But that also goes back to the supply chain that's above that, in that knowing that farmers do have a lot of um, information, they have lots of good decision-making, and that's why empowerment is so important at this. It's not just got to be a top-down approach, it's got to be a true partnership approach and bringing to, to really deal and deliver with the pace of change, the scale of the challenge that we're facing due to climate change, it's going to require every single person and organization as part of the food system and wider to, to be taking action and effective action. So we need to be thinking about how we empower that change. How do we inspire change as well? So it's a really, really important aspect that partnership has to be the heart of that. 
But I also think, and this is why we've been campaigning so much on climate justice, is that all businesses or governments need to take responsibility. They need to be recognising that we all have a part to play. We all need to be looking at our supply chains and trying to ensure that we are supporting those supply chains to adapt, to mitigate, to build resilience, because climate change is happening now. And without doing these things, we will not have security supply for the future. We won't have products on our shelves, we won't have those great ingredients that we love so much. And we all are involved in ensuring that that is not the future that we face. And then I think it's also about taking principles into your approach about deciding as a, as a business about what's the right approach to take and, and, and using that to make decisions and inform decisions. So, you know, for, for the co-op, at the heart of what we do is people because we're a cooperative. Um, we're founded in 1844 and we were founded with the vision of doing things differently, being a responsible retailer. But all it's brilliant at the moment, you know, I've worked in this field for a number of years now, but to see the amount of innovation, the amount of um, action that's taking place to try and solve some of these issues. But I think what you said, John, was so, so important. We need to have farmers in the rooms supporting those decisions talking about their own challenges and hearing from them on, on what they need. And I think that's why for, for co-op, fair trade has been such an important partner in what we do because that system, um, we really believe, gives a unique proposition in not just the um, fairer terms of trade, but that the, the standards that support um, challenges on the ground, the um, fairer prices and the fair trade minimum price that protects in case of commodity price collapse, but the empowerment through the fair trade system of bringing fair, fair trade farmers' voices to the fore and being at the COP conferences to speak to the, the decision makers as part of global systems or in governments and in businesses is just so important. Um, and ensuring that all businesses or all organizations out there are trying to do the same, are trying to listen and elevate the voices of those um, that need to be heard, I think is something that we all need to take take action on. One of the things that Martin pointed out was, you know, in diversification of income, things like beekeeping, which is, you know, can provide an income, but also can help with um, the actual environment in which you're operating and the coffee which you're growing. So Cafe Direct, we, we reinvest, you know, our money in smallholder farmers because it's our our mission to improve the livelihoods of smallholder farmers and we set up a farmer-led charity called producer direct who does a lot of work well does all our work on the ground and i know in in, in east africa they've been working on beekeeping with with smallholder farmers and what one, one of the things that i find interesting is what they're doing though is they're helping smallholder farmers think about the packaging of that honey and the branding of that honey because otherwise you you sleepwalk into the same problem. You you get people to farm honey and then you take it at its lowest value and you jar it somewhere in Europe and you brand it and then you give all the money to a multinational brand owner and a retailer. At Cafe Direct, we're just launching three coffee lines at the moment, which will be in the co-op, which are called Thrive, Empower and Restore. And Thrive is very much about a window into youth in engagement on farm because one of the biggest issues, of course, is that smallholder farmers are aging and the, the younger members of society then move to the cities. So it's very much about how do you engage young people. 
And then the other coffee product is called Empower, which is very much about gender empowerment and bringing women to the fore of running um, cooperatives. And then Restore is clearly about climate change. And it's just, we sort of said, well, why should you be buying coffee um, because it's from Italy or because of the way it makes you feel when you can buy the best coffee that can give you a great feeling, but it also can give you a great outcome. It's been fantastic listening to you. And I think I'll just go to each of you for your, your final comments really about smallholder farmers and food security. And if I could start with you, Emily. I think one of the aspects we've talked on this podcast about is being more conscious of right and wrong. And I think this is a really interesting time uh, globally for those sorts of kind of questions around what's the right thing to do and actually having quite an urgent global crisis that's requiring cooperation and partnership at scale uh, around addressing a really serious problem. And I think there are many, many businesses and organizations out there and consumers as well who, who've been on that journey for some time. And I think it's it's down to all of us to share the stories of what's going on and what we can see within the food system. Because of, just to your your point around consumers, often consumers are unaware of the difference that they make between choosing one packet of coffee to another. They may be unaware of the amount of work and love and curation that goes into creating that pack of coffee and the businesses that are in included in that value chain. And so I think one of the things that we do really need to do as businesses, as you know, operators in the food system is to tell those stories. Um, I know this podcast is going live with Fair Trade Fortnight and that Fair Trade Fortnight campaign is all about trying to elevate those those stories to consumers and and share the story of of food um, and the people who are within those value chains who are involved in the creation of those products. Thank you so much, Emily. It does feel like we're in a time of greater consciousness, which gives us great opportunity, doesn't it? Um, Hans, I'm looking to you for some final um, thoughts. I think actually Emily already said it all. <laughs> I'm, I'm going to keep it short. Uh, I would actually say buy Cafe Direct. And uh, it's not an advert, but it's, uh, and actually invest in Oiko Credit. And uh, I'm saying this because I think actually the role we play uh, as um, relatively small companies is to challenge and to, to push the boundaries. That's what we want to do. We want to invest in the next sustainable model. We want to invest together with Martin uh, and with, with all the others in the supply chain to actually improve things and set an example of how things can be done. Well, fantastic closing remarks from you, Hans. That's fantastic. We all have a role as pioneers, don't we? It's like, um, to me, the co-op should be the biggest retailer in the, in the UK. It's got the biggest heart and it's got the best model. But it, it isn't. But we must all pioneer and work together to have greater ambition and to show others you know, where to follow. So, no, it's fantastic. Thank you for those words. I think, Martin, you had the first word, and I think it's quite right that you should have the last. So... Give me your give me your final thoughts on today's podcast, Martin. As I said, that uh, knowledge is power, and I look forward to when other players of the industry shall have the knowledge about uh, climate change. And uh, we, as Mutira farmers, we are we are we have given ourselves and we are ready to to be players and players and serious players 
on matters of climate change. We are training our farmers and we welcome any support, we welcome any advice, we welcome any any direction on how best we can do it. Because we know as we do it, we are securing our next generations. And I implore everyone that uh, let's be fair, be fair to the climate, be fair to the buyer, be fair to the consumer, be fair to the that farmer who is producing very few kilos. So let us be fair in our business. Thank you. Thanks to our listeners for joining and do head to the Cafe Direct website and find this episode if you'd like to learn more about some of the topics discussed. And please make sure you rate and subscribe on the listening platform you use as it really does help us to spread the word about the podcast. <laughs>